This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to The Property Show on the morning run, and I'm Philip C. On today's Property Show, we are in conversation with Eli McGeever. He's the Director of Research and Technology Innovation at One Global Labs. And today, our focus is on the developments in property technology, specifically focusing on transactions. Eli, thank you so much for joining us on The Property Show. Thanks, Philip. Uh, It's great to be here this morning. Now, the pandemic has upended everything. Can I get your perspective? How has it shaped uh, the de- development and deployment of technology in the property sector? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, the, the pandemic, is, as, as you say, has, has upended <laughs> um, the sales process, not only for local property transactions, um, uh, but also for, for international property transactions as well. And, you know, really where we look at that is there's probably a number of different stages um, in, in terms of that. We saw early days where everything was shut down <laughs> and nothing was happening and people were looking to move out of the you know the inner city um, type situations and, and out to, uh, I guess, the more rural where there's more space um, and, and really there was a, a lack of transactions in that probably three to four months um, of, of COVID. Um, and slowly that started picking back up as, as people needed to move. Um, and, and get back into to property and, and to real estate. So where, where we saw sort of technology start to really come to the forefront there uh, is, is in a number of ways. Um, and that started off with you know, Zoom became a, a very big talking point um, in, in being able to do virtual inspections um, and, and that sort of thing. But also, you know, technology has been around for, for a long time in property, but not necessarily used um, as, as much as it could have or it should have because of the preference there of, of in-person walkthroughs and, and that sort of thing. So I think, you know, COVID is, you know, in some ways has been great for, for um, prop tech and, and advancing that um, really the, the, the prop tech, uh, the technology within real estate. Uh, at the end of the day, because it's it's not only brought us um, you know virtual inspections um, through Zoom, but it's also helps with um, the VR experiences, um, those walkthroughs online, uh, and that sort of thing as well. Well, give me the sense, right? Because you know, from my very basic understanding of prop tech, it's basically uh, you have a website, you list uh, your item. There are lots of pictures, some hundreds, two hundred over pictures. You view it, and you're kind of implying that that's moved way ahead of that that there are now virtual uh, sites and visits and so on and so forth. How prevalent is it? Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's, I, I think sort of what you were mentioning there with, with um, you know, a website that has, has some description, has some, some photos, is, is very much you know, the early days or, or PropTech 1.0, um, as, as we might call it, in, in terms of what's actually there. And that digitized you know, some of the newspapers and, and magazines that um, you know, we used to find property in the past. And we've we've moved past that into you know prop tech 2.0 space um, where we have much more visualization um, and that started off with let's say some some videos and, and walkthroughs um, but then you know progressed into into more the, the digital and, and user driven walkthroughs say Matterport um, and being able to you know, three dimensionalize and, and walk through on a browser um, different properties and and then even 
you know, into the VR space as well and, and being able to put a headset on and walk through properties. And that, even though it's been around for you know, five years at least, it's still relatively new in the space. There's there's cost, um, there's distribution um, sort of hindrances there, but it is there and it is available and it is starting to become you know, more accepted and more used by, especially on the developer side and the new property side of things because you can get economies of scale there. Will PropTech 3.0 replace agents? <laughs> I don't think agents will ever be replaced. I, I think that... You know, it's technology. I, I think that agents that embrace technology will replace agents that don't embrace technology. Um, I think there's there's always a place for agencies and, and agents and you know people to help guide through that decision making process um, because property is it's still a really big transaction um, and there's a lot of nuances and, and that sort of thing. And you know, even though we can jump into it for, for an off the plan for something that might not be constructed for three or four years, we can jump into a, a VR experience and, and get a bit of an idea of what it might look like and what the view is like. There's still so many aspects to, to the property transaction that, that isn't covered by that. And, you know, we can use technology to help that process, but I don't think the agent experience will necessarily 100% be replaced by technology. Definitely helped, uh, but not replaced. Right in the sense of when you talk to customers now, when we do the recovery, presumably these technologies will hold. They are going to not go back to the old way it was. Uh, and so my question is, when you talk to you know customers who are trying to purchase or even sell, do you think we're moving into what I'm sorry to say, omni-channel, where people do mix the virtual and the physical together? Or do you see people just going straight 100% virtual? I think we've got a long way before we get 100% virtual. Um, and I, I think that that's um, there's a number of factors involved in that. One, is, you know, some is that um, the age range and the experience of property purchases varies greatly. So we've got you know property purchases at the, at the sort of the let's say younger end of, of the scale that are probably more likely to do more of the transaction digitally, whereas people of the sort of let's say the, the older generation who are used to doing transaction not necessarily so digitally might take a bit longer to get into that digital space and 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 complete a whole transaction in in the digital space and. You know, on the flip side of that as well, it's it's government adoption to, to help out with this. And if you look at some countries, it's it's still paper-based um, in terms of the actual, you know, the, the contract of sale. Whereas other countries, you know, Australia is a, a great example is where you can do the whole transaction almost sort of online with digital signatures and uh, and that sort of thing and, and not have to see a piece of paper <laughs> for, for the whole transaction. Whereas, you know, as I said, some countries you've, you've got to have a, a printout of a couple of hundred pages um, and sign every single page still. Um, so we've still got multifacets, I think. I think we will, as you said, it'll be an omni-channel experience. Some parts are, are better for, you know, online. Some parts are better for, for offline and in-person. And, and even with COVID, you know, we've, we do see transactions during COVID and, you know, the, the early days it was sort of muted, but we've seen those even on an international level pick up and happen thanks to digital tools. But I still believe that once we can travel more freely and, and openly, you know, this international transactions will, will increase again and, mm. and get back to, to levels um, and, and even above pre-COVID levels. And it's just around that familiarity yeah. <laughs> of, of, of the location. Do you, think it, do you think it could be disrupted though with, with you know, certain things like maybe rentals or your second or third investment where perhaps you have more confidence with it, those could be fully virtual. So maybe the first yeah. experience or for someone who has bought their first house, it's a bit harder. But if you're just doing rentals or if you're doing housing for third, fourth 
property, that is where the disruption can take place. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think that if you look at a property from an investment case, um, you know, it's much more of a, uh, let's say, numbers orientation rather than what's what does the view look like? Where's the sun coming up in the morning that might be more geared towards the owner-occupier type? And, you know, that's already the case. It's it's more in the you know, the visual tools help, but also in, in understanding you know, what the investment means over a five or a 10-year period. So it's more of an educational process in, in that sense from a, from an investment perspective as well. And, you know, the same thing with, with rentals as well. A renter is more likely to be you know, under 40 um, or, you know, in the younger generation, depending on which which country or, or city you're in. Um, so I think that the whole process is much more likely to, to gain adoption digitally um, in that age group as well. So, yeah, you could say that you know, on the rental side of things, it, it probably will take take up quicker. Can you help me contrast the take up of digital and tech adoption in residential perhaps versus commercial and industrial spaces? Is there a wider adoption to its commercial and business and industrial kind of properties? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's it can, it can be a little bit different in, in terms of the um, the process and, and the actual end goal. Um, if it's you know, commercial property for, um, you know, for, for a tenant moving in, then you know, the, the digital process might be around designing the floor layout and, and trying to get the most efficient floor layout um, on that side of things, if it's from a um, you know, an investment case, then it's it's probably using a lot of data and and, and AI and, and even machine learning. Um, you know, we're getting into that space to select you know an area that's a certain distance away from from a train station that gets a certain amount of traffic flow. You know, depending on the actual UK, if if it's you know, retail or if it's um, office space, um, and and using it much more on that sort of the data and analytical analytical mm-hmm. side um, as opposed to maybe the visual side on, a, on an owner-occupied um, home and property. Today on The Property Show, Eli McGeever from One Global Labs as we discuss the evolution of property technology. We'll be back with more after these messages. Stay with us, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. You're tuned in to The Property Show on The Morning Run. I'm Philip C. And with me today is Eli McGeever. He's the Director of Research and Technology Innovation at One Global Labs. But the key value add is the data, isn't it? That you're able to have structured data to make critical decisions. Can you help us understand in the evolution of PropTech 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, how the data is going to help us improve our decision-making with respect to property transactions? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, there's there's obviously multiple multiple sides to the coin on this one. Um, and, and if we look at it from a, maybe a developer and an agency side of things first, you know, there's, there's multiple ways you can look at the data there. Um, and that, as, as we kind of touched on with the, the commercial side of property, it's, it's looking at maybe a, a site to develop and, and looking at the demographics in the area, looking at the sales transactions in the area, getting an idea of who might be the purchasers, who might be the renters, how much you can actually sell it for, you know, what's the per, per square foot rate or per square meter rate from that side of things. And, and the actual you know, design of the, the buildings, do we do one bedrooms, do we do two bedrooms, do we have a study and, and this sort of thing. From a, you know, a sales and marketing perspective as well, it's, it's looking at who's visiting those properties, who's looking at the properties, who's inquiring and who's buying um, those, those kind of properties. <clears throat> and we can use this and apply that and you know, maybe tweak the marketing side of things um, and, and attract and look at where we can attract different consumers and, and different customers and be more efficient um, on that side of things. And, and really on the consumer side of things, you know, it's as an investment, you want to choose something that's you know either one of 
a good growth has good growth prospects or good rental prospects or ideally both and if if we can analyze the data like how much new supply is coming into the area what is the the, the growth been like what's the the demographics of the area how much are people making what's the unemployment rate you know they all sort of factor in to what the likely growth of of the property in the the area is and yeah, this is something that's sort of coming in now and, and starting to really um, you know, have a focus on and with data science and, and data analytics and, and that sort of thing in property. It's, it's sort of we touched on it before with replacing the agent. Yep. And I think the reason why agents won't be replaced is there's still that sort of human touch or, or domain knowledge um, that's important. And I think on the same side of things for, from a data science and, and data analytics, it's important to have you know, that domain knowledge to understand a bit more about exactly what the data is yep. um, and, and how it should and could be applied. The ability to interpret the data, the ability exactly. to infer what it means and the implicit understanding of what the market is saying, where sometimes the data is hard to do. But there will come a point of time when the data becomes so granular that it will be interpreted with machine learning and AI, which yeah, I guess then my question is that, with there is no platform that consolidates all this right because in Malaysia we don't see that level of depth and breadth at the moment. Can you give me some examples, you know, around the world where someone has successfully been able to aggregate and consolidate all these insights and churn out really interesting insights and analytics? Then, yeah, look, it's just to touch on from from the work that we're doing with with OG Labs, we're doing a bit of that. Um, or we're, we're on the, I guess, the early journeys of, of starting that and, and bringing in a lot of this data and, and, and using that to predict, um, you know, what what will happen or what could happen in the future. Um, you know, which areas are, are better for which which um, which destination. But if we look at something, you know, from a, um, I guess, a commercial use case that's that's out there and everyone will know, we could look at the iBuyer um, model in the US. Um, right with perhaps Zillow and, and Open Door and, and, and a couple of those um, those other ones and that sort of touches back on where where the um, the domain knowledge is really important um, as we've seen you know Zillow just exit that market because at the moment the algorithms or their machine learning isn't or hasn't been good enough to to make profits out of it they've yep. they came through some yep. some pretty big losses whereas you know Open Door and, and some of the other ones their their algorithms or or their learning is it seems to be a bit better at this point in time um for that side of things so it's it's it can be quite difficult, I think, to get, to get that right. And it will take a long time to, to really sort of push that through and, and get the, the accuracies that's, that's required for a robust model. Um, but things change all the time. It's <laughs> uh, a very, um, very interesting point about Zillow that you mentioned because, you know, they decided to take this huge bet on iBuyer uh, in which they, as a property platform, decided to purchase houses on the basis that they had the deep insights. But clearly what you're saying was that those insights were not good enough to make the right and informed decisions, isn't it? I think so. Look, it's they, you still need to constantly tweak and you're always running experiments with data and, and seeing what's happening. And, and you know, are your theories, do your theories match the market? And, and how can they better match the market? And how can we tweak you know, the algorithms and that sort of thing because the, the algorithm or the machine learning technique and, and, and that sort of thing that you used in say Atlanta or, or one market may not fit a market like Phoenix um, you know there are different demand drivers and that sort of thing so it's it, it's quite complicated to actually run these things and it's, it's very easy to say let's throw an algorithm at it you know a machine can can learn and, and, and purchase better than we can but it still requires that training and testing and constant revision and monitoring as mm. well it's that a, a constant adaptation and adjustments and which leads me to the next point where it kind of works when you have 
enough data, is that, does it make it hard to digitize or virtualize niche properties? For example, luxury locations or apartments or even overseas investments. Do you think that because you don't have enough data, because there isn't enough analytics, because pool is small, that you can't make right informed decisions? Is that a risk uh, in adopting property technology for these niche properties? Yeah, I think look, it's. I, I think whether it's a little bit of improvement or a lot of improvement, there's there's some improvement there with with technology and and, and learning uh, and 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 algorithms and that sort of thing. Um, you know, it's it's really about how the data is applied and, and how the data is utilized. Uh, and going back to the Zillow and sort of open door case, you know, Zillow maybe didn't get it right in this case, but open door getting it right or, or you know, their their models are, are performing better than Zillow's. Um, so it's we're still early days um, on that, that side of things. But I think that with anything, there's risk, but we can help mitigate risk, I think, with analyzing and, and studying data and, and looking at those trends. But you know, you're right, as you say, if, if there's a, an outlier, let's say it's it's hard to apply data just because there's there's not a big enough sample size yep. um, for that side of things. But that's where the domain knowledge comes back into it as well. And that's where potentially you know, someone who's worked in that market for 20 years, you know, they can use three or four or five different data points to more accurately you know, assess a value or, or assess the real value of a, of a property as opposed to an algorithm that if you're only using five data points, it's not enough uh, from from that perspective. And, and, you know, even from that side of things, it's more of an open market and seeing how much someone will pay for it. So it's more of the value of, of the beholder in that case. Yep. Eli, you cover triple markets, huge international global markets. Where do you see international flow taking up prop tech? Which market flows, which investors' markets tend to embrace prop tech faster than perhaps other markets do? My, I'm Australian and I've, I've got a lot of background in, in the property mm-hmm. scene there. I think that um, you know, really that market, the Australian developer market, has embraced and accepted property technology um, much faster than a lot of other countries, say, you know, potentially the US and, and, and the UK and, and just the different tools and and, uh, and that sort of thing. Some of the stuff that I see coming out of, of a lot of the UK developers at the moment, it might have been five, five years ago or so from Australia. Um, so I think that it's a country, but it's also an agency perspective as well. And if we go back to the VR side of things, it's it's difficult to transport that and, and to have that in, in multiple locations um, at, at any one time. So while COVID has helped prop tech and, and technology evolve, um, distribution and, and, and traveling and that sort of thing has sort of been hampered by that and, and is limiting um you know that distribution model at, at this point in time. Mm. But I think that you know, it's it's multiple, and I don't think that there's a bad use case um, for for technology and for markets and and that sort of thing. If we're looking from a I guess a, a distance perspective as well, the closer you are, the the more likely you are to jump on a plane and check it out in person. So if you're in in Malaysia, it's easier to go to Singapore than it is to go to the UK um, to check out a property. So the benefits of, of virtual technology and, and and that sort of thing are more pronounced. Longer distances, right. Exactly. What is that one technology that you see out there readily available, but it's still not being adopted by the property industry and you're screaming at them to say, why are you not doing it? There's there's a lot of them, I think. Um, (laughs) Property is is always, you know, you can ask anyone from around the world and it's it's a bit of a dinosaur in in some respects. But for me, and I I love data and I love analytics and, and that sort of thing, I think just using 
the data and the analytics and, and that side of things that, you know, even applying Google Analytics um, to, to the whole process in, in, from an agency or a developer perspective to see what's happening from the back end, what are consumers looking for? You know, it's some are using this to great effect, um, but the majority aren't. And, you know, we've, we've seen this through sort of Facebook advertising or, or Google advertising where it's, it can be much more targeted. And yes, we're seeing that with, with property, but I don't think the analysis is really being done um, as, as good as it could. And, you know, furthering that, just the, the data side of things and, and utilizing data better. That's all the time we have for today's property show. I've been speaking to Eli McGeever, Director of Research and Technology Innovation at One Global Labs. I'm Philip C. Signing off for the morning run. We have the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next, followed by Enterprise. BFM 89.9. The Property Show on BFM 89.9. The Business Station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.